The Productive Woman, Episode 100. My name is Laura McClellan, and this is a podcast dedicated to productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Wow. Thank you for joining me for the 100th episode of The Productive Woman. I I have a hard time believing we've made it to this milestone. And as I was pondering how to celebrate this, looking back a few weeks ago, thinking about this milestone, I talked to some people I know and whose opinions I respect and asked, you know, what should I do to make this a little bit special, a little different? And A couple different people suggested that I turn the tables a little bit and have somebody interview me. I thought it sounded kind of fun, so after thinking about it a bit more, I asked my friend and business coach Natalie Ekdahl of bizchicks.com to sit in the interviewer's chair for this special episode. I love her podcast. It's called the Biz Chicks Podcast, and she spells uh, chicks with an X, so it's B-I-Z-C-H-I-X. Love her podcast. Encourage you to check it out. And I enjoy the way she interviews people on her show, so I knew she'd do a good job here. She asked me what if there was anything off limits, and I said no. Just, you know, kind of gulped a little bit and said just whatever she thought would be interesting. So it turned out for me to be a lot of fun talking with her for this and I hope you enjoy the episode. You'll find links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 100. Wow. Uh, And be sure to check out what Natalie's got going on over at bizchicks.com. This episode is brought to you by my Productive Woman Mastermind groups. Now, these are small groups of women who meet online via video conference, and they're committed to making a life that matters, and to supporting and encouraging each other toward accomplishing their goals. Like I said, these groups meet weekly for a 12-week session via video conference, and they share their goals, their wins, the things they're struggling with, and ideas for overcoming the obstacles that sometimes stand between us and the meaningfully productive lives we want. I've been having such a great time with the very first round of Productive Woman Mastermind groups this summer. And I'm looking forward to what happens in the groups to come. New groups are starting in early September after Labor Day. And these are paid groups that are facilitated by me. And uh, there are a bunch of extra kind of things that go with them, including for the fall groups only, the price will include, for those who want it, a 30-minute one-on-one coaching call each month for that three-month period for any participant who wants it. The spaces are limited though, so if this sounds like something you might want to check into, email me now at feedback at theproductivewoman.com and I'll send you some more information. You can make a decision about uh, whether it's something you want to do. And now let's get right into Natalie's conversation with me. Well, hello, Laura. Welcome to your 100th episode. (laughs) Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited that the first time I am on The Productive Woman, you actually let me be in the driver's seat. Yeah, I'm a little, I'll confess to being a little bit scared because I have, <laughs> I have no idea what you're going to ask me. So this is true. And I was 
telling you, uh, we were having a little pre-chat before we hit record that I'm a little nervous too, because it feels like a big responsibility to you and to your audience to make sure that I deliver here in this episode. But I'm so excited because I have had the pleasure of getting to know you over the last few months very deeply, and I'm really excited to share some things that I don't think your audience knows about you. And so what I was wondering if I could do is to ask a question I ask every guest on my podcast, because it provides some fun background, which probably hasn't come out on your show yet. I'm not sure. But where did you grow up and what were you like as a little girl, Laura? (laughs) Well, I grew up kind of all over Western Washington State in a bunch of little logging towns. My dad was a log truck driver and kind of one of those who felt like the grass was always greener uh, somewhere else. And so we moved a lot when I was a kid. I went to three different schools for fifth grade, sixth grade alone, fifth or sixth grade alone. And um, so we moved a lot. I'm the oldest of a bunch of kids. And as a little kid, I was pretty shy and a bookworm. I read a lot. I think my mom would say I was kind of pretty responsible, kind of a homebody, but very much a bookworm and lived kind of out there in that in a different world of kind of imagining the places that I read about. Yeah. And how about your the rest of your family? Did uh, Were you like the only reader or were your parents reading a lot or were they kind of, it sounds like they were busy kind of just keeping the household going? Yeah, I don't know that I ever saw my dad read anything. He worked very hard. I mean, he was up and out the door long before sunrise and would come home, you know, just before dinner time. And my mom always had some sort of, or mostly had some sort of job as far as I can remember. It was a very sort of traditional household, except that we were very blue collar. And so there wasn't a lot of money. And my mom was always the one that would have a full dinner on the table with meat and potatoes and everything else. I think she read, I remember her having a book on her bedside table, but I couldn't tell you what it was she read. My younger siblings were not real bookish You know, I was just kind of one of those straight A student who didn't have much. I was shy. And so it was easier for me to hide in books than to try and go out there and socialize. I always had one or two really close friends wherever we lived. But the more we moved, the harder it was for me to want to make friends because I remember one time when they told us we were moving again, I cried and I said, I'm not going to make any friends at the new place because we'll just leave them again. I know. know. Well, I'm just trying to imagine, especially like fifth grade. I think you said fifth grade, you moved three times. That's such a hard age in general. Yeah, I have a daughter in eighth grade. So we just have kind of gone through these years that you're talking about. And how was that for you? Because you are you know, a shyer person, you know, once people get to know you, obviously you blossom and come out of your shell a bit. But what was that like to move so often when you were shy? I have some friends that were like in military families that moved a lot. And like one friend, she connects with people really fast because she learned how to do that. But I think I would have been more like you. I kind of would have like (laughs) recessed, maybe been reading a book or something. (laughs) If it was brand new at a new school, and I didn't know anybody that would have been so hard. Yeah, it really was. I wasn't one to sort of put myself out there at a new school. I've never been one. I'm always, even today, unless I really am intentionally going into a social setting, looking for somebody else who maybe is 
on the sidelines. I was always the one kind of on the sidelines, maybe watching, had my book with me. And if the girl in the desk next to me talked to me, then she was my friend, you know? And like I said, I always did have one or two close friends everywhere we lived. Um, It's not like I was a hermit or anything. It just was hard for me to go into a new classroom as the new kid, as, you know, as it is for most people. I mean, there are some people that They're like, I own this place from the moment I get there. And I just, I wasn't that girl, but I always got along really well with my teachers. I was a straight A student and, you know, would help out in the classroom and stuff, but it it was hard. Were you the first person in your family to go to college? Yeah, I was. I'm in fact, as far as I know, I'm the only one who went to college in my sort of extended family as far as siblings and aunts and uncles. And I have one cousin who I think she graduated and was a teacher for a while. She's a couple years older than me. Yeah, nobody. My dad didn't even graduate from high school, and not, nor did my mom. She got her GED the year I graduated from high school. So wow. it's not that they didn't value education. It's just that just wasn't the culture we lived in. They, my parents married very, very young. I mean, my mom was 17 when they got married and they had me when she was 19. And, you know, it was a different time. I was born in the olden days. But you got married young too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Mike and I got married when we were 18 Mm -hmm. and had our first child when we were 20. So, yeah. And so were you in college at that time or did you go straight from high school to college or because we obviously know all know that you went to college and law school since you're an attorney. Yeah, but we did everything sort of backwards. So we were 18 when we got married. We both had jobs. We were working for the state of Washington as, you know, just entry level positions. We applied to college at uh, Western Washington University and then the summer before we were going to start. So we would have been 19, I guess. We started out on the road uh, with a group called the Continental Singers, where I was singing and Mike was playing bass and uh, touring for the summer. And it was while we were out with them for that summer that we discovered I was expecting our first child. And so that was a little more than a year after we'd gotten married. So we ended up leaving the tour and, you know, just Mike got a job for the summer. And then we went off to college and had our first child during that first year of college. And so how long did it take you to complete college? Because I'm wondering if you went full time having a baby. For me, it well, was it's always overwhelming just taking care of a baby and not being in school at the same time. Yeah, we uh, well, we did that first year and I was going full time, but we sort of worked our schedule. So I had my classes in the morning and Mike would stay home with Rachel and then I would come home and he'd go to class in the afternoon and we finished that year. And then we left school and went, we moved to Michigan. Mike was going to travel playing music for a gospel singer. So we were out there for about a year. And it was during that year, later in that year, when Rachel was a little over a year old, we discovered we were expecting number two. And then we moved back kind of to our hometown. I did another, most of a year when the second baby was a couple years old, I did another year of college there locally. And then there was a 10-year gap between my sophomore year and my junior year of college where I was just home raising kids and, you know, we did different things. And is that, were you homeschooling during the, that 10-year period? Because I know that you homeschooled for a period of time. Yeah, we started homeschooling when Rachel was 
a first grader. So she went to public school for kindergarten, but at that time it was just a half day. So she would go in the mornings. Mm -hmm. And at that time we had just the two kids. I think I'm trying to do the timing here. Our third child was born the end of May of that year, I think. And we, no, no. She, so she did a year of kindergarten. Then we decided to homeschool. And so during her first grade year was when our third child was born. Okay. And I homeschooled her from first grade through ninth grade. And she decided she wanted to go back to public school as a sophomore because not because she didn't like homeschooling, but she wanted to sing in a choir. And even with all the kids I had there, we didn't have enough for a choir. (laughs) That's really great. Wow. So this is really interesting to me because, you know, a lot of people start college and then stop, you know, because of various reasons. And for you, it sounds like, you know, you had this growing family. What made you decide to go back? Because that's a big deal to take a 10 year break and go back. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things. At this time, we were living in Nebraska. We had four kids by then, and I was homeschooling the older ones. The two younger ones weren't old enough really to be doing much other than I I taught them to read. But I was literally, I was downstairs in in our laundry room ironing clothes one day, and I I got to thinking, you know, even if I keep having kids, because we wanted to have more, uh, at some point they're all going to grow up and leave me, and Mike's going to be busy making music and doing what he does. I'm going to need something to do. So what, what do I want to do? Well, I could go back to school. You know, I talked to Mike about it. And we were 10 minutes from University of Nebraska at Omaha, uh, where we lived. So I thought we decided it could work because our oldest was old enough to kind of be helpful if we both had to be gone at the time. I would continue homeschooling and I would go back to school and and so I did. And originally I thought, um, well, I should, I should major in education, get a teaching certificate in case Nebraska ever outlaws homeschooling again, because it hadn't been legal for that long in the state at the time. But the more I talked about it, Mike and I talked about it, and he asked, well, is that what you want to do? And I said, no, you know, what I'd really like to do, what I'm really interested in is history and political science. I'd really kind of like to be a lawyer. I've always thought that would be kind of cool. And he's the one who said, well, you should be a lawyer then. And I'm like, okay. And so that's what I did. I went back at age 33, I think, with four kids and uh, went back, you know, with that 10-year break was interesting because one of the classes I was taking was French. And to have a 10-year break between second-year French and third-year French is (laughs) a little scary. (laughs) Well, I think that is so impressive and says a lot about you, but also a lot about Mike uh, and what I hear in the thread of your relationship. And, 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 you know, he's obviously a big part of this entire story is he's so supportive and you're so supportive of him as well. You guys have a true partnership in your marriage and you just support each other in different ways. And sometimes one person kind of takes the lead in their career or their ambitions. And you're really great at kind of rotating that, which I don't see in a lot of couples. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, we we sort of jokingly, only half jokingly say that to the extent we've grown up at all, we've grown up together. Mm -hmm. For being somebody who thinks and writes and podcasts about productivity and, and is really big on having a plan, it's not really that we had this massive life plan it was, we always sort of just did whatever the next thing was. And if the next thing was to move across country because Mike's been offered the opportunity to travel playing music, 
then that's what we did. And if the next thing was for mom to go back to college and to get, get a degree, and then, then that's what we did. And if the next thing after that was, let's pack it up now five kids and move from Nebraska to New York for mom to go to law school, well, sure, why not? So I have to hear a little bit about the background with you deciding to go to law school, because to me, that is such a huge defining moment. I think that, you know, you have a lot of different moments in, you know, your, your entire life history, but there's a few that really interest me. So were you say 35 when you went back to school? I I mean, back to when you decided to go to law school, was that? Yeah. Yeah. I was 35 when I finished my undergraduate degree there in Nebraska. And it was probably by you know, into the, what would have been my junior year that we decided, okay, we're going to do the law school thing. And again, we were where we lived maybe 15 minutes from Creighton University in Omaha, which has a, a, a law school, a good law school. And I thought if I could just go there, if I could get in there. And I talked to my advisor at the university and said, do you think I could get into Creighton Law School if I wanted to go? And he said, oh, he knew my grades and stuff. And he said, you could absolutely get in there, but you can do better. You can, and not meant to slam Creighton, but he said, <laughs> there are other alternatives open to you. Well, there's public rankings and I yeah. don't think they're ranked in the top, you know, 10 or 20 yeah. of U.S. News and World Reports <laughs> rankings yeah. that go out. And Cornell is an amazing law school. Yeah. And, uh, and so you applied and got accepted. Yeah, I applied to a bunch of law schools because honestly, Natalie, even though I had really good grades in my entire college career, I only got one B, everything else was A's. And I had really good LSAT scores, law school admission test scores, but I still didn't think anybody'd want me because I was this, you know, mid 30s mom of five, grew up in a blue collar home. And I still in my head thought only rich kids go to law school. So I applied to a bunch of them and was stunned that almost all of them accepted me. And then it was like, okay, now what do we do? And, you know, we had to kind of weed through them. And it was really, you know, Mike that pointed out Cornell to me. He liked he liked the photograph on the cover of the materials they had sent me. <laughs> yeah, Ithaca in the summer, not in the winter, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And so, yeah, we, um, so I was accepted. They offered me a really good scholarship to go. And so we packed everybody up and moved to Ithaca. And it was an amazing experience in a lot of ways. It was overwhelming for this, at that time, 35-year-old mom of five to walk into Cornell Law School. I still remember the day we got there. We had just moved in, and I was going to the school to pick up something I needed right before classes began. The whole family went, including a, a longtime friend who had come to help us move. And we walked into the room where they have, they called it the Pendiflex room. It was basically the mail room for the students where any, you know, anything you were supposed to get. And there's, every student has, had, probably still has a folder that your mail goes into. And I, we went through, we found mine and I walked out of that room and lost it. Because it was like, okay, this is real. real. They really are expecting me to be here. (laughs) So you're there with your whole family. It's it's you and Mike and five kids, including like a baby or who, how old is the youngest? Sam was a year old when I started law school. Okay. A year old, a a one-year-old. And, and a family friend. I'm just trying to imagine like the scene there with all this, you know, in this uh, 
if if you've never <laughs> seen the building that Cornell Law School is in, it's a, this big, very imposing stone. It looks like what an Ivy League law school would look like, and it's. You know, so it was very overwhelming to me. Yeah. I waited till we got out of that room because there were other students in there, went around the corner to get into the elevator. And as soon as the elevator doors closed, I just burst into tears. Yeah, yeah that's such a big deal. And I, I can't imagine also how inspired your kids are watching you, you know, to, you know, a lot of times we don't get to see our parents accomplish and change their lives. I mean, because I think going to law school changed the course of your family's lives and obviously your financial trajectory. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was a bold move for you and Mike, which is interesting because you're not one for, you, you don't think of yourself as one to make bold moves. Do you think that's correct? I do think that's correct. It's interesting to me because you and I, in our separate little conversations, the coaching calls that we've had, you encouraged me to make a list of times that I have done things scared and uh, I actually did that and <laughs> surprised myself. But this certainly was one of them. It was sure. terrifying to me to walk in there with all these younger people, many of them 10 years or more younger than me, who come from wealthy families or whose experience includes working on Capitol Hill and, you know, came there from Harvard University and, and Yale and MIT and have all this amazing background. And my claim to fame at Cornell, the entire three years I was there is I'm the one with five kids. That's how I was kind of known. I mean, I was known for other things too, because I think I proved myself that I deserved to be there. My grades were good. And, you know, I became part of that community, but I always was known as the one with five kids. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it is unusual because most people are going right out of college. So they're what, you know, yeah. 22, 23, maybe 24. Anyone who's 30 is kind of old. And then here you are 35-ish with five children. You definitely kind of yeah. stand out, especially when you're bringing them all on campus on like the pre-orientation day or whatever. Yeah. So, but that's, so I want to talk about another bold move, which is what has brought all of us here today. And that is your decision to launch a podcast, Laura. What inspired you to just even start the thought process of, I want to have a podcast? Well, I think the first I really ever heard of podcasts was several years ago when someone whose blog I followed pretty regularly. It's a guy named Michael Hyatt that lots of people know. He's a mm -hmm. very influential speaker and thinker on leadership and, and those sorts of things. And I had followed his blog for quite some time, and he announced that he was launching a podcast. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that is. How about that? And so, you know, I explained how you could subscribe. So I did. And I would listen to his podcast when I would go out for a walk or for a run. And I don't know, over the course of some time, I, I began to, and then I would hear of other podcasts and listen to, and I got to thinking, I might like to do that. And I think he would have, he spoke of Cliff Ravenscraft, who is still known as the podcast answer man. He's helped lots of people launch podcasts. And so I started listening to Cliff's and he would encourage people to do this. And I thought, oh, I would like to do that. What would I talk about? I have no idea. And it just was this thought of it, it would be a fun way to do that. I think I would like that better than blogging. And, you know, kind of one thing led to another as I decided, or you know, move farther down the line of wanting to do that and thinking about, well, what could I talk about? 
Well, my whole life, I mean, since I was a kid, I've been kind of a productivity nerd. I like checklists and charts. And I would, you know, even when I was a kid in school, I would check out books about productivity and and stuff like that and time management. I just thought that was interesting. And so, you know, I thought, well, that makes sense. People come and talk to me, you know, ask me questions about that. I could probably come up with some things to say about that. And that's kind of where the genesis was. Well, what did uh, your partner, Mike, have to say about this? What was his thoughts on, did, had he listened to podcasts before? Did he know what they were? He had never listened to a podcast. I don't know if he has today listened to a podcast other than I know he's listened to a few episodes of mine because every once in a while he'll comment on something or that he liked the sound of it or something that I said. But Mike is, he's so smart and he's so... um He's not a driven person, but he's a very responsible person, and he's a very practical-minded person, and he's not one to like sit and listen to people talk, and he's also one who, when he needs to know how to do something, he just goes and figures it out by doing it. And so he's supportive, but he's like, why would you want to do that? Why would, it, why would anybody want to just sit and listen to somebody to talk to him? <laughs> so he doesn't get that part of it. But he's supportive and he's, because he's a musician, he's got tons of gear. So I've got great microphones and a mixer and stuff. Yes, he hooked you up. He totally (laughs) hooked me up. He composed. Literally and and figuratively. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) He he composed and uh, recorded the theme music that I use. And he's still kind of my go-to when uh, there's an issue with sound or whatever, because he's very uh, knowledgeable about that kind of stuff. And so he's kind of my tech support, and I have to say, probably my chief cheerleader. He doesn't say a lot. When Mike says something, if you're around him, it's going to be either pretty profound or really funny. And he's not a real demonstrative kind of person, but he'll just out of the blue, like, post something on his Facebook page about, oh, Laura this on her podcast, or Laura that on, you know. And, and so he's supportive in that kind of quiet way. I'm assuming at some point you decided to buy a podcasting course to learn how to podcast. So you kind of, that was like probably your first step. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? Cause that was yeah, for I, me as well. Like I had like, it's one thing to have this idea, but then to put money to the idea is a different moment, like a defining moment in the journey. Don't you think? Yeah, it really is. And it was very hard for me. I stewed about it for several months. The only way I knew about to learn how to podcast other than, you know, you can, look on YouTube and find things. But the only school or training I knew about was Cliff's podcasting A to Z course. Uh, But it's a lot of money, you know, and it was like, am I, will I really do this? Can I, you know, and I talked with Mike about it and stewed about it for a while and finally signed up for it. And I think I took it in, it's a 30 day course. And so I did it December of 2013. And the way his course is structured, you start out The first assignment is, you know, what do you want a podcast about? What's the title of your podcast going to be? Why do you want to do it? Who's your audience going to be? Kind of that thinking that really made me think about it. And the hardest part for me was coming up with the title. I mean, honestly, 
I couldn't think of anything. I'm not creative that way. And so I, I had to give him something. So I said, I put the productive woman in there, but I said, but I don't think that's going to stick. I'll come up with something better than that. And he was like, no, I think that's a great title. And it's, you know, it's sort of stuck. But by the end of the 30 days, you've gone through, he, he gives you so much information and help. And you've, you've gotten all the way through to recording a first episode like a sample one that you send to him to kind of critique. And so by the end of that 30 days, I had my title, I had my subject, I had all my gear set up, I had the artwork that iTunes requires, I had the music that Mike had created. I was ready to go. And I said, I'm going to launch the first week of January of 2014. But, but I didn't. But you didn't. No. <laughs> but I'm <No>. bump. <laughs> yeah. So what happened, Laura? What happened? Well, I spent the next six months finding all sorts of reasons why I, I wasn't quite ready yet. I was just terrified. And it really was because, it, you know, it's that sort of, it's the imposter syndrome that so many of us deal with. It's the, all I kept thinking is, what if I put it out there and people think the idea is dumb or they think, well, who does she think she is? Why should I listen to her? You know, it was so much of what will people think? Because I just didn't feel qualified. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know what it was. And so I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Yeah, the imposter syndrome is uh, a very powerful thing that we all deal with. And I don't know if you've covered the topic in the past on the show, but in, just in case you haven't or someone's new, uh, that's kind of the feeling that you aren't worthy to be doing what you're doing. And literally every single person that is kind of pushing, <laughs> pushing themselves out there in, in any level in their career, as a mother, uh, as a wife, as a podcaster, as a, a personality in any way, or if you're, you're writing or doing anything creative, creating music, singing, it's feeling like, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. People are better than me. And I think it's so helpful just to realize that everybody is dealing with that, that we're all dealing with that quietly in our own heads. And we almost never talk about it. And I'm sure some people are even surprised that you feel that way, you know, after, you know, you, you've created such a, a beautiful show, in my opinion. And so I found it really fascinating to listen to your first episode that you did finally put out there. So let's play that so everybody can hear that very first episode. Hello, this is Laura McClellan, and you're listening to episode zero of The Productive Woman, a podcast that's intended to help busy women find tools and encouragement to manage their life, their time, and their stuff so they can accomplish the things that really matter to them. I've been working on getting ready to launch the Productive Woman podcast since the beginning of 2014. And as I record this, it's July 1st of 2014. Honestly, I've just been afraid to get started. I've been afraid to record anything. I've done all the prep work. I've bought the equipment. I took a course in podcasting from the acknowledged expert in the field. I've got really cool artwork set up. I've got everything ready to go, and I even did some practice recordings. But I just haven't been able to make myself record that first episode. Honestly, I think I'm, I'm just afraid that I'm going to record it, and, and people are going to think it's dumb. So that's me being transparent. But I really feel like this is something I want to do. I really want to help other busy women who 
like me, have so many things we want to accomplish and who struggle to find the time and the energy and, and the resources to get all these things done that really matter to us. It's so easy to get tied up in the minutia of life, in the day-to-day of life, and lose track of the things that really matter. So The Productive Woman is my effort to share the things I've learned, but even more to, to open a dialogue, I hope, um, to create a community of women who will encourage and support each other, share the things we've learned, and, and help each other get a handle on our lives so that we can create the meaningful and extraordinary lives that we dream about. So this is episode zero. This is really, it's more of a test run and a little bit of an introduction. I'll be recording episode one, the official launch of The Productive Woman, very soon. It will have more of the, the really cool music that my husband Mike created for me and a lot of other things that I hope you're going to enjoy. It definitely will have better audio quality than this episode, Honestly, I'm recording this on my iPad. Um, I decided I just had to do this first little introductory lesson without trying to make it perfect, or it was just never going to get done. But in episode one, I'll tell a little more about what the podcast is going to be about, what the format's going to be. Um, But it's my hope, most of all, that people will join that we will, as I said before, create a community of support and encouragement and the sharing of information so we can all feel better about the way we're building our lives. Although I'm nervous, I'm really looking forward to this, and and I hope you'll come along for the ride. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. So Laura, after listening to that, <laughs> what do you think? Like, how do you feel different from the person that recorded that two years ago? I'm not sure if I feel different. I I just have such vivid memories of doing it and why I did it and how I did it. I mean, I have all this expensive recording gear that I had avoided using because of my fears and because of what the things that happened that triggered me to say, no, I'm going to do this. I literally just went into my walk-in closet with my iPad and recorded that thing and put it out there because... I am very, you know, I'm motivated to not disappoint people. And so once I had done that and said, okay, and I'll be back next week with a real episode, I felt like, all right, I got to come up with something to talk about next time. And I have to say, as I sit here today and I think of who I was at that time, I never imagined in my wildest dreams um, what this podcast would become and what it would mean to me and that people from literally all over the world would be listening and sending me emails telling me I found your podcast. I thought my mom would probably listen because I know she likes me. (laughs) I never imagined what it would mean to me as a person, just as a human being to be doing this now, a hundred episodes later. I know it's amazing. And a hundred episodes is a lot. And for people listening, they may not realize that for most people that start a podcast, they often don't make it to episode 10. So some of us have probably listened to some great shows and then they stop because podcasting is very time consuming. And it's a lot of work in terms of just 
producing a show and putting it out there, but in terms of, you know, making sure people hear it, communicating with your listeners, responding to emails. And uh, I, I mean, for me, it's a huge part of my thought life. I'm sure for you too, your show is, you know, you said you didn't realize what it would mean to you. What does the show, the content you've created and put out into the world and the audience all mean to you? It's just so rewarding to me to be able to do something, to be part of these people's lives. The listeners, I don't take a single one of them for granted. I am so honored every time I hear from a listener who, just the fact that they listen, much less that they find it helpful. I mean, one of the hard things about podcasting is, I mean, there's the, you know, the time it takes and all of that. But one of the the hard things is you do it for the most part in isolation and you just put it out there and Unless people write to you, you have no idea whether you're hitting the mark. You know, some people launch a podcast as part of their existing business and a way to broaden their market or serve their customers in different ways. I just wanted to put something out there that I hoped would help other women who, like me, often feel like they're not doing it right, whatever it is. And I wanted to try to create a community where we could sort of learn from each other and support each other and find out, hey, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that has a hard time figuring out what to put on the dinner table every week or how to get everything done and and still feel like a civilized human being or how to do well at my job, but also be a good mom or whatever those things are. And so to be able to contribute to that conversation is such an honor to me. And so between the interaction I've been privileged to have with listeners and also, honestly, the community of podcasters that I've gotten to become part of, I've just never known another community like that. The people that theoretically would be your competition welcome you with open arms and support what you're doing and don't treat you like you're, you know, infringing on their territory in any way. And so all of that together has just been amazing to me. I, I'm grateful for it every single day. When do you find the time to podcast, Laura? Because you have a huge job. You're an attorney at a big law firm. Obviously, you're not podcasting during the day. When are you finding the time to make this all happen? Well, I guess this is where my productivity nerdiness is serving me well. I have to be pretty organized about it and I have to think ahead. And I have a note in Evernote where whenever I have an idea of something that might be good to podcast about, I throw it in there. Or if a listener sends me an email and says, hey, what if you talk about this? Or they ask a question, I put it in there. And then I sort of have a calendar looking ahead of what I'm going to talk about when and sort of have a routine in place to sort of outline the episode and then record it. Originally, I would often be like researching and outlining uh, Monday and Tuesday and then recording on Wednesday and publishing it Thursday morning, or or maybe it was the other way around. I'm losing track now. Now I have some help. Um, So I have Emily that helps me pull the show notes together and John that helps with some of the audio editing. And so I have to get ahead And I, right now, my routine is to be, you know, spend my evenings kind of noodling ideas and fleshing them out, doing the research where it's necessary. And then I record on weekend and I'll try to record a couple of episodes each weekend so that I can get ahead a little bit. 
but it's, you know, I got to fit it in evenings and weekends, like a lot of us do for Absolutely. You know, our, our side things, our, our hobbies or whatever other interests we have. I want to talk a little bit about moving past your fear, because that's to me a theme of you and your life is that you have some things you think about doing, you kind of tell yourself, you probably shouldn't do that, but then you get some encouragement either outside or internally, and you move forward. And you have a little saying that you've shared with me in the past. I wonder if you could share that on air about, you told me like in the past when you're going on stage to sing, that you feel really nervous. Yeah. Uh, But after you sing, you've enjoyed the whole process. Or once you start singing, you, you really enjoy it. And so tell me the little saying that you use to help yourself move forward. For me, the hardest part is getting started, and I'm terrified of doing certain things. And so I just have to tell myself I'll be fine once I get started. So it's the the leading up to it, uh, the leading up to the kickoff, the leading up to the, you know, walking on stage and singing the first note or turning the microphone on and, and recording the, you know, the first, you know, getting started on the recording. I, I'm still nervous every time I sit down to record a new episode because I'm never sure if what I'm talking about is going to meet, you know, the needs out there. But I just have to tell myself, take a deep breath. I'll be fine once I get started. And once I get going, it's fun. But it's that getting started is the hard part. When did you like, do you remember like the first anything you received from a listener, whether it was an email or something on social media or a comment on the show notes of the episode, do you remember maybe one of those first few communications? Yeah, I'd been doing it for several months uh, with no feedback of any kind. I don't think I had any reviews in iTunes. I don't think I'd had anything. And I was just about ready to quit because it's, you know, we we all get whiny sometimes. And when you're working all day and then you come home to do this thing and, and it's really just me sitting in a room talking to myself, you know, into a microphone. And I got a, a email from a listener just saying, I just wanted to let you know I found your show and here's my situation and you really helped me kind of get some perspective on that. And I really appreciate what you're doing. I hope you keep doing it. And I cried. I cried. I I kind of do that every time I get one of these emails. It's amazing how they come at just the right time when I'm feeling kind of discouraged. You know, I'll hear from somebody and think, oh, okay, I can keep doing this because you're the one I do it for. It's so true. I feel the same way. I, I've almost quit podcasting at least three times. I started podcasting when when you were about to start. So I started about six months before you. And I also didn't want to start, but my husband was very involved in the process and he made me start. Even though I wasn't ready, I really wasn't ready, but he made me do it. And I'm glad because I don't know when I would have started if someone, I I need deadlines to start. And so I had set a deadline and his personality is one that if you set a deadline, you have to do it on that date. Whereas for me, I'm a little more fluid, like my deadlines can push back and change. And so uh, he basically like he had control of the audio. I had recorded some different episodes, so he just like published them. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm starting. (laughs) So, uh, but I'm so glad. I mean, I think every person listening right now is cannot imagine 
one, you not having created this show and two, that you would stop because the content you're bringing, not only your own point of view, but the guests that you bring on the show is so valuable. And I've been like listening and re-listening to, you know, a recent episode you did on meal planning and because it's something I'm trying to get a handle on in my life. And, and I also love how you're so humble about, I know that you're a very productive person in a lot of areas of your life, but I love that you don't come out and be like, I know everything. I am the productive woman. And that's not really what what you're about. You are a student of productivity and you're on a journey. And I think that's what makes the show approachable and why you are, your show has just grown and grown and grown over time. I'm curious when you got contacted to join your network, which is Noodle MX, yeah, Noodle Mix Network. So how did that come about? And I'm, I'm trying to imagine what you thought at the time when you got that email or communication. Well, it was really bizarre because it happened at the very first podcast movement, which as you know, is a conference for podcasters, specifically about podcasting. And it's happened twice before. The third annual podcast movement conference is coming up in July. Well, it will have just happened right before uh, this episode airs. And um, so this was the first one. And I was attending that and it's close to where I live. So I wasn't staying at the hotel where it is. It was here in Dallas. So I was driving up in the morning for, I think it was the first day. It might've been the second day. And on the way up there, I was listening to a podcast and it was a podcast about podcasting. There are a few of them. Cliff's was the first one I learned of, but this was probably the second one. It's Daniel J. Lewis's podcast called The Audacity to Podcast. And Daniel has a very distinctive voice. So I'd been listening to that while I drove. And then I walked in, you know, I parked my car, walked into the hotel and I listened to it on my, you know, on my phone through my car speakers, but walking through the lobby where all the booths are and stuff headed towards the big room for the first session, all of a sudden I realized I'm hearing a voice that sounds familiar and I'm thinking, and I actually looked down and I thought, did I forget to turn my phone off? Because I'm hearing Daniel's voice. I'd been hearing it all the way there. And I then I realized, I looked around and I saw him standing there talking to somebody. And I thought, well, isn't that funny? And I kept walking. And then I thought, you know, how often is there somebody that's been influential or helpful to you that you never tell them? So I thought, I'm going to just go back and tell him how much I appreciate his show and how much it's helped me. And so I, I turned around and went back there and kind of waited till he finished talking to the person he was talking to. And then I just told him that. I said, I just want you to know I've, I've listened to your show for quite a while. It's really helped me a lot. I really appreciate what you do. And that was the end of it as far as I was concerned. But he asked me if I had a podcast and I said, yeah, and he asked me about it. I told him, I said, it literally had just launched like two weeks before that, two or three weeks maybe. And he he asked me a little more about it. He asked me, is it a clean podcast? Because his network is only for clean, you know, no profanity and stuff. And I said, oh yeah, absolutely. And he said, have you ever considered being part of a network? And I said, "Um, no, I don't even know what a network is. And I just (laughs) launched and stuff. So we traded contact information. I, I didn't have a, like a podcast or business card. I had one of my lawyer ones. So I wrote, you know, and I said, my, this is my cell phone numbers on there. So you can, you know, reach out to me and that email address. And we, tra- after the conference was over, we traded some emails and he, um, 
you know, then he listened to the, the two episodes or whatever I had at the time and, and uh, asked me if I'd be interested in joining Noodle Mix. And I about fell out of my chair when I got the email because I thought, I'm brand new. I don't know anything. This is like, and I honestly, I was a little scared because I thought at that point, okay, if I pod fade, now I'm letting down the network. <laughs> Yeah. So in our industry, we say when someone stops podcasting, we call it a pod fade. We'll be like, oh, they pod faded. So none of us want to pod fade. Uh, and uh, so that's incredible. I kn- I've never knew anything about that story. Yeah. And I love that in a way you were rewarded for getting out of your comfort zone yeah. and going up to someone and saying hello. And and Daniel has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. And, uh, and you, in fact, uh, we've all been hearing him when he's at the end of your show. He's been mentioning the podcast awards and voting. There's been kind of a little outro on some of your um, yeah. recent shows in the last few months. Uh, so people, that's Daniel. That's the voice she's talking about. And yeah. uh, what's also interesting about meeting podcasters in person is like we hear them, but then to see them with their lips moving is a little weird. Like, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, it's so strange. I mean, I've had the same thing happen last year at Podcast Move and I was coming out of my hotel room to walk downstairs and I walk past a room and a, the door opens behind me and I hear uh, these two women talking and it was like, oh my gosh, it's uh, Elsie Escobar and, and Jessica Kupferman who host a very well-known podcast among podcasters called She Podcasts. And uh, I had to turn around and go back and say, I know who you are just by their voices. I knew yes. who it was. And it was so strange to just stand there in the room, you know, in the hallway and talk to him for a minute. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. But it's such a welcoming and supportive community that's really helped me keep going along with the feedback from listeners. I mean, that's what I do it for. I just love the, the ability. to. It's not that I like the sound of my own voice because I don't. It's such a privilege to have the opportunity to put something out there that might, you know, might help somebody. How do you feel when you meet a listener in person? Like, what is that like for you? Because, you know, we do this podcasting, as you said, is a very solo endeavor. We're by ourselves. We just kind of do this and, and we're enjoying what we're doing, but we don't really see people listening to us. And so what maybe share the first time you met a listener in person and what that was like. Yeah, it's happened a couple of times. The very first time that I remember was last year at Podcast Movement, and I was standing in the hallway waiting to, somebody had asked me to wait for them because we were going to go talk. And I'm just sort of standing there minding my own business, and this beautiful woman comes up to me, and um, you know we're all wearing our name tags, and she says, you're Laura McClellan. And I said, yes. And she said, you host The Productive Woman, right? And I said, yes. And she said, I'm Julie. I'm here from Israel. I love your podcast. I've been, I'm so excited to meet you. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, she has, I I don't know if she had already launched her podcast or if she was getting ready to, um, she and I have become friends now, you know, since then, you know, we talked for a few minutes and she was so kind and uh, I was and then she walked away and I just stood there and I wanted to go sit in a dark room somewhere and just think, I don't believe that just happened. Somebody crossed a room to talk to me because of the productive woman. And I was just floored. What an honor. 
It is no. such an honor. It is such an honor. And I'm not surprised. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you will. I, we're, we're recording this in advance, but it's playing after podcast movement number three. And so I'm sure you're going to have, a, I'm gearing you up. You need to get ready, Laura, because it's going to happen again. So yeah, it get happened ready. another, it happened yeah. another time with a listener. I was at a, down in Austin. I'm uh, from Dallas. I was down in Austin for a a different conference, completely unrelated to podcasting. It was kind of a productivity, life hacking kind of thing. And a woman in, we were standing at the coffee bar getting, I was getting my tea and we were just chatting. And then she happened to, I asked her where she was there from. And, and she told me, and she asked me where I was from. And she looked, then looked down at my name tag and she looked back up with big eyes. She says, you're Laura McClellan. And I'm thinking, yes, I know. (laughs) And you, you host the productive woman. Oh, I can't believe I'm getting to meet you. And I was, again, so stunned and honored. And uh, that's the only, the only selfie I have ever taken was a picture with her Mm. because I wanted to capture that moment. Maybe we could put that in the show notes if you can dig it up. That'd be really fun for everybody to see. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Laura, I want to hear a couple more things, and then we'll wrap this up. I have two more questions. One, what are you doing now to work with your community? Because I know that people, uh, you get a lot of communication from your audience, which is amazing. And people, you know, started asking how they could get time with you and work with you. And so you launched... Um, some groups recently. Can you tell us about those and kind of what's happening in those and how people can work with you? Well, sure. As I said before, one of the things I've wanted to do from day one with this is not just talk into a microphone and for people to listen, but to somehow build a community where women can support and encourage each other in, in that you know, ongoing sort of journey of making a life that matters. And so I'm always trying to think of ways to do that. And based on conversations I've had with some people, uh, listeners and different things over time, what I did recently was launch the very first Productive Woman Mastermind Groups. And I have two groups going right now. One, you know, one meets on a weekday evening, one meets on a Saturday morning. And we just, um, you know, we meet via kind of a video conference service and help encourage each other on productivity related things kind of to accomplish goals that each woman has set for herself. And it's amazing. I, 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 we've been going four weeks now. It's a 12 week thing. I love these ladies. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to talk with them every week. I look forward to it. That was one of the things, though, as you know, I was terrified, um, even just to put it out there. And then before the the first session of each one, it was just so scary because I, you know, I want it to be a good experience for them. But it's it's just been so fun to watch them as they're sort of developing and moving towards these goals that they've set for themselves and encouraging each other. That's the part I really love watching. And we have a, for each group, a private Facebook group and they can communicate. And like one of the ladies has a goal of, uh, she's working towards having a, a celebration party for the 10 year anniversary of her business. And so she's been posting photos of the things she's doing to prepare for that, that she, that we've talked about during our meetings and, you know, getting feedback from 
the other members of the group. And it's just so much fun to do that. I love doing it. And I know you're a huge proponent of masterminds. And, and so you've kind of helped me with figuring out how to really make this a, a worthwhile experience for the people that participate. Yeah, I feel the same way working in a group with people that are helping you stay accountable on whatever it is you're working on in your life. I I tend to work with entrepreneurs. So we're working more on business things. But I love that your groups are really a mix of like the whole life. And it's really the whole person, you know, accountability, we and that people are drawn to you because they have a desire to be productive. They are students of productivity along with you. And then for them to get to come together, it's really exciting. and, And I think, you know, kind of you touched on is you get to see your community coming together in action and supporting each other and to play a part in that is such an honor. And I know like that's exactly what you're saying. And, and I felt that as well. And it's really beautiful. Well, Laura, I know everybody is wondering, what is your vision for going forward of Productive Woman? We're at the hundredth episode, which first of all is incredible. And I don't feel like I fully congratulated you on that. So first of all, a heartfelt congratulations because it is very rare for a podcaster to start and get to a hundred episodes, but I don't feel like you're even halfway on the journey. I don't know what you think, but what is your vision like kind of for the short term and then, you know, even like the long term for the show? Well, my vision is to keep going, putting out new episodes every week and finding ways to produce content that's helpful to the listeners. I've got some fun guests coming up that are going to be on the show. I'm always kind of keeping an eye out for, I try to be really careful about the guests that I have on the show that they aren't there to promote themselves, but are there to share how they manage their lives as well as their expertise or whatever their area of passion is. And so I love doing that. I, for the foreseeable future, I intend to keep doing that. And beyond that, I'm trying to find other ways to connect with listeners, to serve them better, to create resources that will help listeners on their individual journeys, because it really is a journey. You don't just like get productive and that's the end of it. It's a constantly changing and morphing process for all of us. As I say on the show all the time, the productive woman isn't the one who checks the most stuff off her to-do list. She's the one who orders her life in such a way as to maximize her positive impact on the world around her, to make a life that matters, however she defines that. And so as time goes on and I get more feedback from listeners about what their struggles are, what their interests are, I'm always trying to think of new ways to help them in that whatever, you know, achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve or grow in the areas they want to grow in. And I'm going to keep doing that. Yay. If I had clapping sound effects, I would play those right now. (laughs) But I'm not that fancy. (laughs) Nor am I. Well, that is incredible. If people want to join one of your mastermind groups going forward, Laura, how would they get in touch with you to do that? Well, I'm going to be putting some more information up on the website. But for now, I'm sort of starting to assemble, I guess, a waiting list. I plan to launch a couple new groups in September. So if people are interested in being a part of that, I I say people, women, these are going to be for women. Sorry, guys. Um, I know some guys listen, but there's just a different dynamic. And maybe someday I'll, you know, put something for guys. But for now, it's women. You can just shoot me an email at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. 
let me know you're interested in more information about how to be part of a mastermind. No obligation at this point, but I'll add you to the list and give you a little bit of information for you to ponder while we get things set up for the groups that will start in September. Laura, thank you so much for opening up your heart and your life. During this episode, you told me that no question was off limits. And so I went to some personal places and I'm sure that everyone just loved getting to know more about you and your journey to creating and launching The Productive Woman. And you are such an example of maximizing your positive impact on the world. I know that you inspire me and you inspire your entire community. And we thank you for all the time and effort that has gone into these past 100 episodes. And we, I personally look forward to 100 more. And thank you so much, Laura, for all your hard work. Well, thank you. You're going to make me cry. And, <laughs> and I don't want to do that. But thank you, Natalie. And thanks for your encouragement and support and for being here to kind of make this fun. You're welcome. And that's a wrap. So there you have it. Episode 100 of the Productive Woman podcast. I really appreciate Natalie helping me create this somewhat unusual episode of the podcast. And I'm really grateful to you for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope, you know, you got something out of it. I want to say, and I've said this before, but Again, this is such a milestone for me and for the show and for us as a community. And so I want to say it again, that whether you've been with me from the beginning of this journey or just found the show last week, I am so thankful for the opportunity and the privilege of being part of your life and especially to have you as part of mine. I am so grateful to know that you're listening for the the emails that I get, uh, all of that. It just means so much to me. I am committed to making this podcast useful and encouraging in the months to come. Who knows how long we'll keep going at this, but I'm committed to it for the long haul, and I want it to be worthwhile and worth your time in listening. So if you have suggestions for topics I could cover, for questions you'd like me to answer, or guests you think I should talk to, please let me know. I want to know what you're struggling with, what obstacles you feel like you're facing in your efforts to make a life that matters, and what's working for you that I could maybe share with other listeners. So please be in touch and let's build a community together. There are, as always, various ways you can be in touch with me. If you want to comment publicly, you can share your questions or your thoughts or your ideas in the comments section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 100. And that's the number 100. Or you can post a comment or a question on the Productive Woman's Facebook page, or even better in the brand new Productive Woman Community Facebook group. It's so much easier to interact there. So if you haven't already joined the Productive Woman Facebook group, this is a private group where nobody can see what we're posting except those of us who are in the community. And we can meet up and interact more directly. You can ask questions of me or the other community members, share information. You know, if you see an article about productivity or something that you think is interesting to other women like us, share that there. We can encourage each other. Basically, continue the conversation about making a life that matters. And I would love to have you as part of that group. So find the group on Facebook and click the join button there so I can let you in or shoot me an email if you have questions about how to get there. I would love to have you be part of that. 
In addition to that, of course, if you want to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, or you can leave a voice message on the website or the Facebook page. So I try to make it easy for you to communicate with me because I really do want to hear from you. So again, I don't know what to say, but thank you. Thank you for making these last two years, these last hundred episodes something so rewarding and meaningful in my life. I hope that it's contributed to making your life a little better. And uh, I'm excited about what's going to happen. I've got lots of things in the works that I'll be kind of announcing as we go along. But thank you. I don't know what else to say except that. And that, I guess, is a wrap for this 100th episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you again for spending this time with me and with Natalie. I hope you found something in this that was helpful or encouraging to you. And I truly do look forward to talking with you again soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.